Well, good morning, everyone. This is Ryan here, and it is good to be with you on this Good Friday as we come to ponder about Jesus' death and its significance for our Christian living today. So let's start by reading two passages together, and um, and I'm reading from the easy-to-read version. The first one comes from Mark 15, 33-39. At noon, the whole country became dark, and this darkness continued until three o'clock. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out loudly, Aloy, Aloy, lama sabachthani. This means, my God, my God, why have you left me alone? Some of the people standing there heard this, and they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man there ran and got a sponge. He filled the sponge with a sour wine and tied it to a stick. Then he used a stick to give the sponge to Jesus to get a drink from it. The man said, we should wait now and see if Elijah would come to take him down from the cross. Then Jesus cried out loudly and died. And when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn into two pieces. The tear started at the top and tore all the way to the bottom. The army officer who was standing there in front of the cross saw what happened when Jesus died. The officer said, this man really was the son of God. And the second reading comes from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 to 28. So Jesus is the kind of high priest we need. He is holy. He has no sin in him. He is pure and not influenced by sinners. And he's raised above the heavens. It's not like those other priests. They had to offer sacrifices every day first for their own sins, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus doesn't need to do that. He offered only one sacrifice for all time. He offered himself. The Lord chooses high priests who are men and have the same weaknesses that all people have. But after the law, God spoke the oath that made his son high priest. And that son, made perfect through suffering, will serve forever. And this is the word of God. Now, this time every year, Christians of all backgrounds all over the world unite to commemorate one single person's death. Now, to be sure, this person died an unjustified and an excruciating death, but he was not the first nor the last one to die this way. In fact, thousands would be crucified each year during Jesus' lifetime. And I wonder any of us can name another person who was nailed on the cross. You see, out of the hundreds of thousands of lives died on the cross under the ancient Romans, only one man was remembered. And his death, along with his resurrection, revealed the real God to humanity. And as a result, changed the entire world. But what is so special about Jesus' death? And how did the New Testament see Jesus' death? And why does it matter to us? To answer these questions, we must first and foremost remember that Jesus was not born into a cultural vacuum void of time and place. He, instead, he was raised with a specific ethnical identity in a specific social historical context. He, he lived his entire life in, in, in the Jewish system, in the Jewish society in the first century Palestine, with all the particularities of the world. He was instructed in Old Testament religion. He spoke the language of Aramaic. 
and he taught and showed the kingdom of God in a way that his fellow countrymen can understand. And therefore, Jesus' ministry was inseparable from God's dealings with the Jews in the past. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised when the New Testament writers find in Jesus' death symbols or pointers that allude back to the Old Testament. And in fact, many elements of Jesus' death are highly symbolic, and they can only be understood properly in connection with the Old Testament counterparts. So today we will look at such a connection. Do you know that there are about 250 titles given to Jesus throughout the Bible? We will focus on one specific title today in relation to his death, and that is Jesus' role as the great high priest on our behalf both in his death and in his ongoing ministry in heaven now. In the Mark passage we read earlier, verse 38 records this seemingly insignificant detail. It says, when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn into two pieces. This incident was also reported in Matthew and Luke. Have you ever wondered about the meaning of this? Where exactly is this curtain in the temple? And what is it for? And why all three writers um, specifically pointed out the torn curtain? Now, before we come to tackle these questions, I just want to mention in passing the confusion that many have um, between this title and another one given to Jesus that is much more familiar to Christians today. And that is the title of the Passover lame. Different New Testament passages describe Jesus sometimes as the Passover lamb and at other times as the great high priest. When the New Testament talks about Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross, it was at times referred um, to the, the Passover metaphor. And uh, at other times, it was referring to the Day of Atonement metaphor. And unfortunately, many Christians confuse these two concepts and could not distinguish between them. The confusion is perhaps understandable because there's a common element in these two rituals, and that is the sacrifice of animals. But there are two fundamental differences between them. First, there were no priests involved in the first Passover, as the priesthood system had not yet been established by God. Whereas on the Day of Atonement, the high priest was the leading and decisive actor. And second, the, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb points forward to Jesus saving us from the bondage and penalty of sin, that is the eternal death. But like the Israelites at the first Passover, we escaped God's just punishment because of the spiritual Passover sacrifice, that is Jesus. His blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of our souls and covered our souls. However, the Day of Atonement ritual foreshadows Jesus' high priestly work of mediating between God and human. And here, Jesus was the high priest who entered into the presence of God on our behalf and offered the perfect sacrifice his own life. In this case, his blood was a sin offering that made us holy and pure once and for all and so let's let's look now at this high priest title in more detail and as said before it harks back to the day of atonement 
and, and high priest's mediative role in the ceremony. And Leviticus 16 records the origin. It was an annual ceremony and it was the most solemn holy day in the Hebrew calendar. God first established the priesthood and the sacrificial system for the Israelites in the wilderness. Then after the tabernacle or the meeting tent was built, God instituted the ceremony for the atonement for the people's sins. You see, all priests came from Aaron's family of the, Le of the Levite tribe, with Aaron being the, the first high priest. All subsequent high priests were responsible for performing the rituals on this holy day. The, the high priest serves as the mediator between God and the Israelites. He represents God to the people and the people to God. And this tabernacle, the meeting tent, consists of three layers of space. First, there's the outdoor um, court of the tabernacle. And then there's an enclosed temple called the holy place. And then inside the holy place, there is the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is placed. And on top of this Ark, there's the mercy seat on which God said he will dwell. It's because the very presence of God was within the Holy of Holies, a thick curtain was instructed to be placed to separate the Holy of Holies from the rest of the holy place. The, the most holy God cannot be seen or approached freely by anyone, but, but this holy God is also God of love. He, he's determined to be with mankind and desires their worship and fellowship with him. So he's provided a way for the high priest to enter in once a year to offer sin offerings um, on behalf of the people. And so on this day, the high priest, among many other things, would first purify himself and then offer a bull as a sin offering for himself and his family and then sprinkle the bull's blood onto the Ark of the Covenant. Then two goats or, or lambs would be brought before the high priest. He would then choose by lot which goat would be killed and made to be the sin offering for the people. The high priest again would sprinkle the blood of this first goat onto the Ark, and then the other goat would be released into the desert as the scapegoat who carries away all the sins of the people, which were um, forgiven by God for another year. And of course, finally, the high priest um, had to cleanse himself thoroughly, both before and after the ceremony. Again, this was to show the utter holiness of God, and only people cleansed according to his way can approach him. So, so how then is Jesus our high priest? The book of Hebrews masterfully explains the connection. The Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, claims that Jesus, in his death, actually acted as the eternal high priest that made God's people pure through the perfect sacrifice of his own body. The, the effect of his work may not be visible, but it is nonetheless real and, and, and spiritually valid. So let me read to you another beautiful passage from Hebrews, and that's from Hebrews uh, 10. And let me just get the scripture onto the screen for you. Hebrews 10, 19 to 23. 
And so, brothers and sisters, we are completely free to enter the most holy place. We can do this without fear because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus. We enter through a new way that Jesus opened for us. It is a living way that leads through the curtain, Christ's body. And we have a great priest who rules the house of God. Sprinkled with the blood of Christ, our hearts have been made free from a guilty conscience and our bodies have been washed with the pure water. So come near to God with a sincere heart, full of confidence because of our faith in Christ. We must hold on to the hope we have, never hesitating to tell people about it. We can trust God to do what he promised. You see, in Jesus' death, he was both the sinless high priest who represented all humanity before God and the, and the perfect sacrifice whose precious blood atoned for all sins once and for all. And that is why at the moment of his death, the, curtain, the, the temple curtain is forever forfeited. Now, anyone who belongs to Christ can approach God freely through the ongoing mediative work of Jesus. But, but there's even more to us than this immediate effect of a sacrificial death. Hebrews also tells us another wonderful truth, and that is this high priest of ours was made in the likeness of us. He was made a full human in every way that we are, and he was tempted and suffered the same way a human would. His full humanity means that he's capable of understanding all the complexities of living, of human living in a fallen world, and therefore he's able to pray for us and ask for grace and mercy and kindness from his, from him, from his Father on our behalf. One wise Bible teacher writes that his divinity qualified him and him alone to represent God to us. But it is the humanity he took back to heaven when he ascended that uniquely qualified him to be our ideal representative before God. Made in the likeness of a sinful flesh, his own experience of temptation and suffering gives him sympathy when, he face, when we face the same tests. His own temptation and suffering gives him sympathy when we face the same tests. What a comfort to us. So today, whether you are suffering physically or mentally or financially or spiritually, Jesus knows your pain. Are you worried and weary? Jesus knows your burden. Are you in gloom and despair? Jesus understands the weight of your darkness. Are you tired of the world's lying, enmity, hypocrisy, or downright pride and ego? Jesus recognizes more in this than you. So did you realize that the living Jesus in his glorified human body is the ever-present priest, brother, and friend of yours? When no one seems to understand your particular thoughts or feelings, even those are closest to you, Jesus does. And he's there ready to be with you and help you. Even when even yourself don't know how to or what to pray for, he's already praying for you. In his humanity, he gets it. He gets that in this fallen world, in our fallen nature, that life is hard, that we are weak, 
human people can can be frustrating. Dreams can be dashed, and future seems hopeless at times. And because he gets it, they can sympathize with you. And at the right hand of his father, now he has never stopped praying for hope and healing for you and for the world. You see, on Monday, the Queen gave an address in response to the global pandemic. Towards the end, she said, "We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again, and we will meet again." The same can be said of the human living in this age—a sort of a spiritual lockdown, if you will, where much of the time we don't or we can't feel the real presence of God in our life and in in this world. But while we may have more still to endure on Earth, better days will come. We will be with our brotherly priest again. We will be with our savior friend again. And we will meet the slain lamb again. And on that day, you will be able to give him a hug and a kiss when the spiritual lockdown is all over. Are you excited? And more importantly, are you prepared? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for the words. Contained in in the Scripture, which gives lives and meaning to our life, that because of your work on the cross as the High Priest, as as the sacrificial sin offering for us, that we are made pure and holy before God, that we can have communion with God without hindrance. And Father, we thank you that this day、um, we we can. We can come to worship you, and we can come to commemorate our Lord's、um, death on the cross for us. And please, God, the Holy Spirit, we ask that you will apply the truth in these words into our lives, so that our lives can be transformed according to your way and have your way in us. We pray, and and all this we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.